Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Crisis Management. I'm Alicia Sikirska. This is a show dedicated to helping businesses navigate their way through the coronavirus pandemic. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about Amazon expanding in Ontario, and we're going to dig into the latest retail headlines about Lululemon, Tiffany's, and JCPenney. And have you noticed COVID-19 fees popping up on bills at restaurants or at your hair salon or even the dentist? Well, we're going to take a look at personal protective equipment, what that means for consumers, and whether businesses should be carrying those costs down to their customers. We're also going to talk about the live events businesses and the best strategies to ensure that they can survive through COVID-19. Now, to get through all this, I'm joined by Mark Satov, and he is a business strategy expert here to help us find solutions and ideas for businesses that are dealing with the pandemic. Mark, welcome back to the show. I'm very glad that we're going to be talking about live events because it gives me an excuse to talk quickly about the Raptors game, and I'm just so excited for Game seven on Friday. I feel like people have been talking enough about the Raptors game because I was trying to watch a tennis match and every two minutes my Twitter feed is exploding with people excited about this. Oh, Mark, about this. you need to get into it. You're killing me. You need to get into it. It's okay. Friday. I'll, 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 maybe I'll watch Friday for a few minutes in between sets. Okay. Well, um, let's start with a story that's um, a little bit uh, not as cheerful as the Raptors extending the series to game seven. Um, this is about the International Monetary Fund. This week, IMF's uh, managing director published a letter warning that more effort will be needed for a global economic recovery, which has been helped by unprecedented government support, as well as support from the central banks. Uh, she wrote that the crisis is, quote, far from over and that it is essential that supports are not prematurely withdrawn. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau echoed some of these sentiments yesterday when he was speaking about COVID-19. He said, that we're still in an emergency. COVID-19 is here and it's going to keep being here. We are not out of the woods yet. Um, on that incredibly optimistic note, Mark, uh, we're six months into this pandemic. Do you think that businesses need to um, change their approach and or their expectations around a return to normal? Well, it doesn't sound very cheery, but it can be cheery if you have the right perspective. And uh, I'm not often described as an overly cheery sort, by the way, but uh, I think that happiness in life is correlated to expectation management, right? And I think that that is really the theme for this. And I think what they're trying to do is get us sort of settled in so that we know that the long we're in for a long haul and that we won't continually be waiting for another few weeks, another few weeks, another few weeks. You know, we are in our society so used to watching Hollywood movies and Hollywood movies have, you know, this terrible thing happening and an almost terrible thing happening. And then some, suddenly something happens uh, and then it's all over and we could all breathe a sigh of relief. And I think that it is very natural, as I do myself, to be waiting for the vaccine. Uh, you know, the vaccine is going to come. Mm -hmm. It's going to come. And the phase three trials are happening. And then someone got sick. And so but I think the point is that whether the vaccine comes or not, 
we are in this for the long haul. And so if you find a way to make that your expectation and build a life for yourself personally and for your business that could sustain the next year or two, then I think you'll probably actually get to a bit more happiness because you'll just accept that this is the way it is. I mean, if you look at some of the events that have, you know, been, I'll say, very significant in the 20th century, starting with uh, the last, uh, I won't say the last because there have been others, but the last really, really big pandemic, it lasted, I think, uh, 22 months or 24 months uh, in 1918. The wars lasted a few years. Uh, prohibition lasted 12 years. Uh, I mean, these things are, I'll say, disrupting, disrupting, disruptive events in society that last multiple years. And people, people live through them and their lives change and then, then they got better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm glad we started with this because I think it fits into a lot of the conversations we're going to be having um, throughout this episode is that not hinging your plans on the end of this, but uh, finding a way to get through it in the meantime, while we do wait for that vaccine and and uh, a return to actual normal, whatever that will be. Um, but let's move on to the latest news from Amazon. The e-commerce giant announced this week that they are going to be expanding Uh, its presence in Ontario. It will open two new fulfillment centers, one in Ajax and another in Hamilton. It's essentially the high-tech warehouses where they store, pack, and ship items from. Uh, It's going to create 2,500 jobs. And this comes as Amazon is obviously thriving in this pandemic. Demand has been so high that it's had to hire 175,000 workers to help ship items. And it also announced on Wednesday that Uh, It's going to hire 33,000 people for uh, corporate and tech roles over the next few months. Um, Fulfillment centers are not necessarily the most exciting thing to talk about, but they are a critical part of Amazon's operations. Uh, Mark, what do you think of this expansion? I think a lot of things. I'm actually wondering where the 2,500 employees come because those fulfillment centers that Amazon tends to open and with technology, you would imagine that each successive one that they open will be more and more technology uh, enabled. And therefore, uh, you would imagine not that many employees. Um, but I have actually I've been I've toured one oh. and the employees, what they end up doing. I mean, they have these robots that are transferring items to different shelves and the employees have to kind of they cram all the smaller items. One of them, right. one of, I think it's Ajax will be dedicated to smaller items and then Hamilton to larger things. So they need people to just kind of help that right. bridge all the robotics, but it is, you're right, super automated. And and you say it's not exciting. I actually have not toured one. I would like to tour one. It's very exciting <laughs> um, to me to see all the technology and all the advancement. Uh, they are a distribution business, just like Walmart is a distribution business and Walmart, I've said this a lot, Walmart uh, became what they were because they were the most efficient at finding a way to build a logistics network across the country that got cheap goods that they bought cheaply through their system very cheaply. And so it's a critical, critical thing for Amazon to get right. What they're trying to do is capitalize on the momentum from the pandemic to uh, gain share and also to build habits for consumers that they don't go back to. I have been one of the voices who have uh, has said that uh, we cannot expect that the growth in e-commerce that we've seen during the pandemic will stay with us. I do believe that when the pandemic is over, that we will have more e-commerce than we had at the beginning, just not quite as much as we have now. 
But that doesn't mean that as the leader, you can't take the time and uh, use it to your advantage because they have scale. They are the absolute behemoth in the industry. They are the leader. And so they can continually gain scale uh, and gain economies of scale uh, and be the absolute one that you have to do business with if you want to sell goods online. And so by building more fulfillment centers, what they're doing is they're making their uh, network cheaper and they're making sure that they can always get goods to consumers quicker. And that's part of the whole habit thing, because if you get used to getting goods same day, then when the pandemic is over and you're the type who actually would like to shop, sometimes you may think twice because actually you can get that delivered yeah. to you in four hours or whatever it is. Yeah, for sure. Um, last month, we saw Walmart make uh, its own announcement about an investment in in many things, among them fulfillment centers. Uh, do you think this is at all a competitive response to Walmart's expansion in Canada? I think that uh, Walmart would probably like to see that it's a competitive response. Uh, <laughs> I think this is this is a classic first mover advantage playing out, right? And so Walmart uh, is not the first mover. Amazon is the first mover mm -hmm. in e-commerce. Walmart's playing catch up. Uh, Amazon does this. Walmart does this. Sorry, you probably can't see all my hands, but then, all right, so Amazon does this, Walmart does this. And then when Walmart does this, Amazon says, okay, we're now going to do this. And Walmart will not catch up in e-commerce. It just, it's just not the yeah. way they're wired. And Amazon, again, they're leveraging their scale. And so they're going to keep on, keep ahead. So it's more like Walmart may have caught up a little bit with their last one, but not all the way. And then Amazon's just going to pull ahead again. Yep, they are. They are the number one. They're an e-commerce giant for a reason. That's love for sure. Them, love them or hate them, they control. Yeah. Um, well, Mark, it's been a while since we've done a retail roundup, and there's so much going on in the industry. A ton of stories even broke today that we aren't going to be able to squeeze in because there's so much going on. But let's start with LVMH. It's the owner of Louis Vuitton uh, scrapping its $16 billion deal for Tiffany. Uh, it was struck in November 2019 before the pandemic really hit uh, and was expected to close just a few months after. The company says it cannot complete the acquisition as it stands, citing a U.S. move to impose tariffs on goods from France as those two countries kind of engage in a, a bit of a trade dispute. Tiffany is now suing LVMH. And the latest headline I saw was that LVMH is also planning to sue Tiffany, alleging the jeweler mismanaged its coronavirus uh, pandemic response. This was supposed to be the biggest deal ever in the luxury industry. Um, is it doomed, Mark? What do you think? I don't know if it's doomed. I don't think this is good news for it. Uh, I would say the rationale for uh, for actually canceling the deal being related to the trade dispute uh, actually is about as strong as the rationale to buy anything at Tiffany's. And there's, there's none in either case. <laughs> um, and I know that may sound a, a wee bit critical. Uh, Tiffany's is a ripoff. And by the way, I think the acquisition may be a ripoff. And I think that uh, luxury will come back. Right. I've said this before. We saw it in the last recession and the last recession was different than this one uh, in that it was structural. And a lot of wealthy people actually had significant reduction in their wealth and significant risk. Whereas here, it's actually a different thing. It's unfortunately uh, an exacerbation of the class divide that we have in our society. It's actually worsening a lot of the income disparity issues. And so what that means, mm -hmm. uh, and we don't have to get into a whole societal discussion, but what it means for the luxury sector is that many people who are affluent to wealthy did not have their income impaired as much as others, but they're under stress. And so for them to want to treat themselves to a luxury item 
uh, should not be unexpected, both during the pandemic and for and for sure after as we get into recovery, uh, which when we do, I think we're all just going to be so happy about so many things. And so I think the luxury sector will do very, very well. But having said that, I think they wanted a way out of the deal. I think for sure there was some sort of discussion between the French government and uh, Arnaud, uh, Monsieur Arnaud, who controls LVMH. Uh, I don't even understand, like, uh, I consider myself to be decent at business. I mean, I do, you know, I advise people for a living. I didn't understand the whole trade thing. Like, I don't even understand how it, how it could impact that because it's not like goods are moving from the US to France or vice versa, primarily in the LVMH empire and Tiffany's is an American company. So I'm not, there wasn't even like a, a, an A plus B equals C part of that. I think they just said, hey, mm -hmm. you know what? Maybe we're over levered. Maybe we want to negotiate a better price. Maybe they're desperate. Uh, let's do this. And a lot of the times when these things happen, when deals get stalled, it's, I've said this before, it's not about who's most correct legally. It's about who has the staying power. It's like a lot of legal battles that you have in business. Unfortunately, it's not really about the, the legality. It's about who's tougher, who has more money and who has more patience and sometimes who has more anger, like who is mm -hmm. really ready to go toe-to-toe. Uh, -to -toe. And that's that's what that's what remains to be seen. Do you want me to talk about yeah. my Tiffany story about, about, about how overpriced their goods are? We don't have time. It's up to you. <laughs> um, I think we're running low on okay. time, so I Next will have time. to pass, but I do feel like we, um, have got a good grasp of how, where you feel, how you Let's feel. Let's just say a lot. Tiffany's. They're overpriced by a yeah. lot. Okay. Yes. Um, okay. Let's move on to JCPenney. This is a really interesting development. Um, as we discussed a few months back, JCPenney had filed for bankruptcy, um, and it appears it's about to be bailed out of that bankruptcy. Mall owners Simon Property Group and Brookfield have teamed up to uh, and agreed to buy JCPenney out of bankruptcy. They said they would keep a majority of locations open, which could save tens of thousands of jobs that were at risk. Um, what I think is interesting is JCPenney has been struggling for years. The last time it reported a profit was back in 2010. Um, so Mark, what is the upside for Simon and Brookfield? Is this about, we've also discuss this, holding on to that anchor tenant? Like, why do this deal? Well, it's one thing to say, you know, they're buying it and they are saving a lot of jobs. I think whether they're saving a lot of jobs remains to be seen. I think when a company is in bankruptcy, the creditors uh, are would rather get 10 cents on the dollar than zero cents or 20 cents than 10 cents. And so it's one thing to say they're buying it. I, I'm not sure I've seen how much they're buying it for. And so if I am, I mean, if you think about the creditors of somebody like JCPenney, obviously you have banks and the senior, uh, the senior debt. Uh, and as you move down the stack, you have trade uh, and you have landlords and landlords may be above the trade because they may have certain guarantees. And so these are the landlords, right? So it's the landlords who are buying them. Mm -hmm. So they're sort of saying, okay, we're not going to get uh, our debt. We may as well actually trade in what they owe us to actually own the company. And when we own the company, what happens is we get to control the space again. And as a reminder, uh, although I've talked about it before, anchor tenants pay very little rent because they are anchors. They are meant to create the mall and create a space uh, so that uh, the mall owner could then sell or lease other space for very high rent. But when they, when they lease uh, that other space for very high rent to the other tenants, they promise them not explicitly that the anchor tenant is going to be there, but that there's going to be traffic, which is one of the things that the anchor tenant does. So they don't pay a lot of rent. 
they are important to stay there for the other tenants, but they also have a lot of control. So the anchor tenant has a lot of control in their space. And what that means is that things like uh, my friend who's, uh, who's who works for one of the big mall operators said, you have things like no build zone. So you're not allowed to do anything in the parking lot in front of an anchor tenant or in the mall in front of an anchor tenant. And they have stronger clauses in their leases about who can be around them if they sell competitive goods. So if I am Simon and Brookfield, I'm saying, okay, I'm going to buy it for nothing. I'm going to keep them in there. My guess is even if they're not profitable, I could probably still actually generate traffic because people will walk through them. And I could tell all the other tenants, we still have the footfall of X million people walking through every year. Um, and as long as I don't operate them at a significant loss, it's probably good for my mall overall. But I'm not mm -hmm. sure they're going to save that many jobs. Because By the way, if, if you walk into... Uh, I mean, even the higher end ones, but for sure the mid tier like Nordstrom's uh, and and the Bay and then down a tier to JCPenney and Marshall and all the rest. It's very hard to find somebody like walk through them and like be in one department and you're like, you need a bullhorn to say, hey, by the way, over here, I want to pay for these socks. It's like there's it's, always like, yeah, they have the cash register there where you can go. but yeah. No one seems to ever be there. Exactly. Um, it's like. Yeah. yeah, I guess, I mean, you're, I guess it's a better option um, having JCPenney stay open than having it be empty <laughs> and, and not have exactly. That, exactly. that traffic. And they could always make a different decision later, but they, they at least control. And in, my, and in my opinion, they're controlling for not much money. Yeah. Um, okay. Before we get to the fix, let's uh, really quickly talk about Lululemon. It reported earnings this week that it was better than analysts had expected. Um, sales were down from the company operated stores 51%, but e-commerce was booming up 157%. Revenues up. They're still planning on opening new stores this year. They're also going to have pop-ups around the holiday season. I mean, what do you credit to Lululemon's pretty positive results? Is it just because they're a clothing retailer that's in the perfect segment for this work from home uh, I guess, time. I don't know how you describe it. What do you think? <laughs> uh, I think there's a lot. I mean, I, I think, yes, th there's a little bit of luck because work from home, why wouldn't you want to work from home in very comfy gear? Uh, and it's not only work from home, work out from home because it's the type of stuff that you can do from home. Uh, they bought Mirror, which I think is very cool. I don't know how leading edge or bleeding edge Mirror is, so I don't know how widespread that technology is, but it's certainly a great thing. I was actually thinking, could I actually get one of those? Uh, but uh, they have a great brand. Uh, they invest in their brand. They invest in the experience. And they have a sort of replenishment business. And what I mean by that is when you own a Lululemon garment, you know the fit. It's a functional garment. And so it's not like a blouse or uh, a pair of pants where you want to see the different pattern uh, for the next one you buy. You know that you like a Lululemon t-shirt or shorts. And so it's a lot easier to buy one online if you feel that you're working out a lot more uh, or if you realize like given your laundry cycle, you just need one more and you're home a lot or you just want to treat yourself or whatever it is. It's actually an easy business uh, to buy on e-commerce because of the type uh, of, of good it is. And also they've just, they just do a good job. And, you know, uh, mm -hmm. kudos to Calvin McDonald. And I don't only say that because... Poor guy. Uh, I gave him a lot of grief when he was running Sears Canada. And now he's looking and saying, you know, well, guess what? Now I have a much better job and I'm doing a great job. Look at me now. Exactly. And you know what? He's a nice guy and he's a very good retailer. So good for him. Yeah, I was uh, actually in a mall a little bit back in Lululemon was one of the 
few stores that had like a lineup. Oh, down. for sure. Um, for sure. Yeah, they they seem to be doing very well. They do alterations um, on on their on their workout mm-hmm. shorts. You know, you know, they have a lot of margin <laughs> if they could do that. Yeah. Um, Okay. But Mark, let's move on uh, to our next segment where we dig into some of the issues that businesses are facing right now and get your ideas and solutions for the fix. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll get your advice and dig into some of the issues that businesses are dealing with. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Now, when the COVID-19 pandemic first took hold in March, one of the first things that we saw get canceled was live events. Basketball, hockey, baseball, they're all put on pause. We saw concerts get postponed, uh, conferences get canceled, movie releases get delayed. The list goes on. Um, Some of these events have found a way to restart. Uh, Sports are a great example. The NBA, NHL, US Open, all with the bubble approach. Um, The Toronto International Film Festival is starting today, but it's definitely not going to be the star-studded event that we are used to uh, in normal times. Uh, This is also the time of year when we usually see the CNE, the Canadian National Exhibition, in full swing. They've had to cancel that event and take a $6 million loss. So its future at this point remains unclear. So, Mark, let's talk about the live events business. Um, As much as I want to dig into sports, I feel like that's an industry particularly when you look at it professionally, that's kind of figured it out. So let's talk about uh, events for that are related to smaller businesses. Um, how do you handle this pandemic? And if you have to cancel, I mean, what do you do to make sure that you can one day, don't go bankrupt, um, and like the CNE may, and still have your event down the line? Uh, what is the fix here? Right. There, there are a lot of things to consider. So when we were thinking about this uh, story in the office, getting ready for the show, we thought about the different types of live events that you have. And as we, you know, we, we talk about sports a lot and uh, those are, those are big businesses. And I think they have generally figured it out, but I, I want to use them just as an example uh, because I think one of the things that sports have going for them is that people are home and in a way so when we're doing so much stuff that is asynchronous today, right? Uh, we're downloading content, uh, you know, Netflix is asynchronous. You could do it at any time you want. The exciting thing about sports, right? We talked about the Raptors. I knew that last night, everyone I knew was actually <laughs> watching the Raptors. And you could actually build up excitement to present something if it's exciting enough. And so you may, uh, you know, small businesses aren't like the Raptors or a tennis tournament, uh, but I think that we could get back in a way to some aspect of the glory days of TV and radio where people sort of waited for this event. And because they're home a lot more, and in the winter, unfortunately, I think we're going to be home a lot more, uh, you could actually build up excitement for things. I think, uh, so if you have an event, whatever type of, an, of event it is, you may think about what is a sort of moment in the event where you actually will compel people to be sitting in front of their computer, uh, to be watching this keynote speaker that's very high profile. The events business, so one, I think about the events business in terms of, for businesses, you know, conferences, 
and I think one of the things about conferences is there are two types of people relative to conferences. People who love to go to conferences, and unfortunately, <laughs> they're not going to want to go to the virtual ones too much. Especially, you know, like like I go to this private equity conference once a year. I actually enjoy going out of town and networking with people in the industry. And they, they, they tried to sell me a ticket to go to the virtual one. I was like, well, what's the point? I'm not going to go out drinking with anybody or whatever it is. Uh, so I'm not going to go. So if you actually like the going, you're not going to go. If you don't like to go, you're going to use this as an excuse not to go. So conferences actually are in a really tough spot because there's nobody who's sort of like, this is actually better for them. And, and one of the things you need to think about is content today is so ubiquitous and so free. And so going back to the thing I said about a live thing, you actually have to think about what is something that you could bring people and maybe make it live that they cannot otherwise get. And is that something to invest in? And so if you think about entertainers, I think we will see that entertainers are going to do concerts and they may start to do paywalls, although so far they've been free uh, because it will still be an event. Like if you're home Saturday night and people aren't going out anymore, guess what? You know, uh, you know, I don't know, Lady Gaga's performing and she's doing her concert and it's at 8 p.m. And it's like when I was a kid, like you waited for the big thing to, to be on TV. Um, mm -hmm. There's so many other live things that, you know, you have. Uh, so we talked about conferences, you have gala events, and I'm sure a lot of people are involved in nonprofits. Uh, here's here's the thing. Everybody hates them. Right. Uh, people. Well, it's true. Like most people, if you're in the part of the community where you are go to a lot of galas, it's sort of like a big obligation because you get a call from a client and they're like, do you want to buy a table? I'm like, oh my God, how much is this going to be? And then do I want to go to this event? It's, you know, and so gala events are in a tough spot, except you could look at it and say, if you're a nonprofit, well, why don't we skip the gala event? And I actually chair uh, an event. What if you actually say, let's skip the expense of the event and then just go to our donors and say, all right, you don't have to buy a table for 10 grand anymore. Do me a favor, give us a donation for five grand because whatever the cause is, is actually still really important. And we're going to save money and you're going to save money. So there is a theme. I can't decide if um, I want your clients who drag you to galas to be listening to this or or not. You know what? They don't, they uh, don't but, care because if they give me business and they call me to buy a table for 10 grand, uh, they know I have to say yes anyway. They don't care. Okay. Um, but so you were, you were starting to mention here, I mean, going virtual, you can save on costs in For a sure. lot of ways. So is that, is that what's really crucial is finding ways to, to cut costs as well as obviously enticing people to still participate and, and pay whatever fees I, they usually charge. I think the most important thing, if you are running an event is to think about next year. And when I say that, I mean, any event can withstand, you know, we're not doing it this year, right? Or maybe some of the people will pay the 500 instead of 1500 and have a mediocre experience to attend, like I said, the private equity conference, but people will remember you in a year. If the pandemic lasts three years, I think it's like everything gets reset to zero. And then people think about all the different events that they could go to. So I actually think the most important thing for an event is to think now about what you're going to do for year two because we've now missed year one. So the events that have taken place spring and there are a bunch in the fall. So let's say September, October, just whatever happens, as long as you could, I'm surprised by the way, $6 million sounds like not a lot of money for CNA to lose. But anyway, whatever it is, you could probably absorb the loss. You could probably absorb the brand hit. If, you, if it's 2021 and the pandemic is not over, then you have a real problem restarting. So think now 
about how you could do something that is creative for next year's event. Can you do pods in different cities if you otherwise would make people travel? Uh, and can you find a way to get a headliner to do a live event, a keynote, whatever it is that's rele you know, relevant for your thing? Find a way now to make next year's event exciting. That to me is the focus. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I will say though, when you said three years from now, I was like, <gasps> expectation management, Alicia. We're still alive uh, and breathing. No, I don't want to think that far though. Uh, okay. Um, before we wrap the show up though, I, I do want to circle back to that COVID-19 fees. We talked a little bit about it uh, a few months ago, but I've been talking to friends and colleagues and those charges um, to cover costs of personal protective equipment, cleaning supplies have been popping up, not just on bills at restaurants. Um, some friends have been charged extra at the dentist office, hair salons, other places. So Mark, but let's talk about personal protective equipment and the need to ensure customers uh, feel safe and comfortable with your business. And how should businesses be approaching safety and should be look at, they be looking at making investments? And then do you pass that cost down to your consumers? A lot here. We've got a few minutes left. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try and talk really fast. No, I'll try and squeeze uh, uh, a lot into a few minutes here. Uh, and just so you know, we actually, my firm knows a lot about this because we were actually engaged by the National Research Council of Canada. And we did a wide study of what businesses were doing all over the world to get their workers back uh, safely and to get premises open safely. And uh, we're going to release the report in the next few days. And one of the themes of the report, the most important one, in my opinion, is that uh, most of the solutions that businesses are employing are low tech. And low tech means low capital. And if you actually look around and you go to the dentist's office, to the gym, or again, you didn't talk about it in terms of uh, a manufacturing facility. That was a lot of the focus of our study, but they are also facing those costs in their manufacturing facility, they're making goods to bring to you. The solutions are low tech, they're variable. They're not actually doing gigantic retrofits to their building. They are maybe reducing capacity, uh, using more PPE. And in my opinion, in most cases, it's actually very minimal cost. And so my general message is a few things. You absolutely have to do it and you have to make a big show of doing it. And you need to make sure that people understand that you're doing everything you can. That's first thing. The second thing actually goes back to, I think the theme of today's show, expectation management. Um, you should expect to try really hard during the pandemic to survive. Thriving is a bonus. It is not what you should uh, sort of uh, be thinking about. And so uh, if you can survive, then you're doing well and don't be petty. So if you think about the dentist's office, you know, I have a friend who's a dentist, I won't say his name, but uh, he makes a lot of dough because uh, dentists make a lot of dough. They don't need to charge you 15 bucks. Like, let's just be very clear uh, based on what they charge the insurance company to sort of uh, do a cleaning and look in your mouth for 12.2 seconds. And one of the things he told me was, guess what? They were ready for this anyway, because the protection that they have under normal circumstances is actually pretty close to what they want now. And so I'm not saying that you could never charge, you know, like uh, I, I'm back at the office, so I'm ordering at Ritual. And they asked me to uh, give another, on every order, they say, would you con consider giving an extra $5 uh, to the meal to help restaurants out? Uh, and I could decide to do it, or I could decide not to. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the times I decided not to, because I said, well, I'm buying a tuna salad sandwich, isn't that enough? Uh, but if they had raised the price by a dollar, and not told me, it probably would have been okay. So my point is there are times you could charge, but you have to be careful because when it looks obnoxious and it looks unwarranted, 
not only will people not want to pay, it'll impact your brand. Um, so like I say, don't charge. I mean, in, in business and pricing, you sort of generally say charge what you can. But here I would just say charge what you need to. And again, you don't need to be making the margin you used to. You need to be making enough to survive and you need to be getting the people in. So do what you need to do to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, Mark, I think that is all the time that we have today. Thank you for our this conversation again. Um, if you want to rewatch this episode, you can check out Yahoo Finance Canada's website. We're also a podcast, so make sure you check us out and listen on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you have any questions for Mark or for me, feedback about what you saw today, please feel free to email me. I'm at A-L-I-C-J-A at yahoofinance.com. Thanks for tuning in. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.